Jeremiah chapter 4, and we will be considering the first four verses this afternoon. And earlier today, we considered Jeremiah's other work, the book of Lamentations. Well, this afternoon we take up his prophetic writing to the people of God. And just as a quick reminder, Jeremiah is writing this sometime either in the late 7th century or in the early 6th century B.C., meaning that this is after the northern kingdom of Israel has already been taken into captivity by the Assyrians, but it's prior to the southern kingdom of Judah being taken into captivity by the Babylonians. The downfall of Israel had happened just over a century earlier due to their unrepentant sins against Jehovah. And now the prophet is given the task to prophesy to the people of Judah lest they experience the same fate. And so with that in mind, Give your attention to the reading of God's infallible Word from Jeremiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in Him, and in Him shall they glory. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Thus far the reading of God's word, let us now ask his blessing upon it. O oh Lord, we do ask that Thou wouldst add a blessing to the reading of this Word, this Word which is faithful and true, this Word which Thou hast preserved and kept pure through all ages. This Word that is spotless, that is without corruption. Lord, bless it to us. We ask that Thou would give us ears that would conscionably hear this Word, hear it rightly. We ask that Thou wouldst open up our hearts to receive it with gladness and joy. 
Lord, now we pray that as we approach the proclamation and preaching of this Word, that Thou wouldst bless the preaching. Lord, work through Thy servant this day. Let the minister decrease so that Christ Jesus would be magnified. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So we ask these things in Thy Son's name. Amen. We have a problem in the church today. And it's a problem that spans across denominational lines. It's one which has infiltrated pulpits and seminaries and even households. And yet, this is not a new problem. Instead, it's a very ancient one. And that problem is that so many in the church today have a flawed understanding of what true repentance is. I've seen pastors and elders appeal to people's repentance because of an admission of sin and a general apology for it. I've counseled couples in which one would passionately cry, I said I'm sorry. What more do you want? Perhaps you've been wronged by someone and that person has said to you, I'm sorry that you were offended. Unfortunately, there are those within the church, even those within leadership in the church, who would say that this is what constitutes true repentance. But friends, this is not the case. This is nothing more than worldly sorrow Something which is no different than what unbelievers exhibit in their lives. This is not true repentance. True repentance is when a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of an endeavor after new obedience. Shorter Catechism 87. This is what God requires. Not some general apology for general wrongdoings. We must repent of our particular sins particularly. And so... As Jeremiah was given the word of the Lord to proclaim to the people of God, he was given the task of calling them to repentance. To true repentance. 
And so we'll take up this theme of true repentance by considering three headings. First, the call to repentance. Next, the act of repentance. And finally, the result of repentance. So let us first consider the call to repentance. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. This call from Jeremiah carries a, a remarkable depth of meaning. It's worth noting that Jeremiah here is, is proclaiming this to Israel. A nation that's been in exile for a century. A people who have seemingly been utterly destroyed and lost. And yet, through the mouth of His devoted servant, the Lord extends His call to that backsliding people, imploring them to return to Him. This call appears to be a continuation of uh, what we see in chapter 3 where we encounter a similar plea for repentance in chapter 3 verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou, black, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. This continuity of the call underscores an incredible truth that despite the apparent abandonment of God's people and their drifting away, the Lord's mercy and beckoning hand remains extended towards them. And this moment in the prophecy also seems to mark a transition. It's a shift from addressing Israel to addressing Judah later in our passage. And yet it's critical to understand that while the call to repentance is explicitly directed at Israel, this call to repentance encompasses both the northern and the southern kingdoms. They're referred to as the united entity Israel in this divine call. It shows the common need for repentance and renewal. It in itself, calling them Israel, is a call to repentance, to repent of their division into the northern and southern kingdoms. The persistence of God's call amidst adversity speaks volumes about His unwavering love for His people. The fact that the Lord implores those who have seemingly fallen beyond repair, it highlights the depth of His grace. It's a reflection of His unending desire for uh, restoration and reconciliation. It's an affirmation that no matter how far we stray, His arms remain open to welcome us back. 
And the call to the people is to return to the Lord. The covenant people of God had fallen so far away from the living and true God that it seemed hopeless for them. Israel in the north had already been utterly destroyed and now Judah in the south was on the brink of destruction itself. And this shows the gravity of the situation. And yet, even in the face of such dire circumstances, Jehovah lovingly calls to His people. He takes on Himself that role of the compassionate Father reaching out to His wayward Son. And He says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto Me. Here the divine invitation transcends despair. It carries with it a glimmer of hope that God's mercy and grace are not exhausted. The voice of God calls out to His people, come back. If you're going to turn away from the the ways that you've made your own, don't turn from them and then turn unto other vain things. Instead, turn unto Me. This call is a helpful reminder that in times of wandering, God's embrace remains open. It's a beckoning for us to redirect our paths, to forsake the paths that lead to emptiness and to embrace the path that leads to Christ. John Calvin writes, The prophet no doubt requires here from the people a sincere return to God inasmuch as they had often pretended to confess their sins and had given many signs of repentance while they were acting deceitfully with Him as then they had often dealt falsely with God and His prophets. Jeremiah bids them to return to God without any disguise and in good faith. In essence, the prophet calls for authentic repentance. He calls for a return that is not a mere outward show, but a genuine turning of the heart. The charge of insincerity is laid before the people of God. The accusation looms large over them. Their false displays of religion were often but a mere facade. It was a surface level act that concealed their wavering hearts. Among their outward displays of religion, their dedication to God was inconsistent and their loyalty to Him was compromised. And so the Lord calls out to them declaring, No more! If Israel is to have any hope, if they are to truly repent and find restoration, the call is for wholehearted devotion to Jehovah. There's no room in the life of the people 
of God for being double-minded. Friends, this call to repentance is for you as well. You are the true Israel, the true people of God. Are you putting on a show of religion and yet wavering in your devotion to Jehovah? Have you formed unholy alliances with the wicked people of this world, being drawn away from the living and true God by the temptations of the flesh? If that's you, then know that the call remains for you this day is if thou wilt return, O Israel, said the Lord, return unto me. It's a summons to turn away from the ensnaring grip of sin and to fix your eyes on your Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. This call is an invitation to shed the hypocrisy of false displays of religion and to embrace wholehearted devotion to the Lord. In this world where there are so many distractions and compromised values, you must not be double-minded. Beware lest ye be like the double-minded man described in James 1.8 who is unstable in all his ways. Instead, let your dedication to the Lord be unwavering. Jehovah is calling to you this day. The Lord's arms are extended and waiting to receive all those who humbly return. Just as He stood ready to embrace His people back in the days of Jeremiah, He stands ready to welcome you back today. The promise of restoration and renewal holds true So consider where you stand before the Lord. Are there areas where your devotion wavers? Where your allegiance to God is divided? Today, make the decision to heed the call. Turn from the entanglements of this world. Turn wholeheartedly to the one true God. Embrace the transformation that comes through repentance and restoration that only He can provide. Heed the call to repentance. And in heeding that call to repentance, we see the act of repentance. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so there must be an external act of repentance. This call of the Lord to Israel is to 
put away their abominations from his sight. They had turned from Jehovah to false gods, idols which were deaf and dumb, those idols that were powerless to actually provide for and care for them. And those who had not fully embraced the false gods, they had so perverted the worship of the Lord with their pagan practices that they had turned the true, true religion into a false one. And so the Lord tells them to put those abominations away out of His sight. It's similar to the outward actions of Reformation that took place during the reign of King Josiah during the early years of Jeremiah's ministry in 2 Kings 23. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove, and for the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kedron, and carried the ashes of them unto Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests, whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places and in the cities of Judah, and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem unto the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it into small powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. They knew what repentance was to look like because they had seen it displayed before on a national level. But it seems as though that repentance did not stick. This external act of repentance, the putting away of their abominations from the Lord's sight, means nothing but hypocrisy if there's not an internal act of repentance. And so the Lord uses the imagery of a farmer working the ground which had been barren. For thus said the Lord to, to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground and sow not among thorns. The people of God had allowed their vices, their sins, to so permeate their lives and their hearts that it became as fallow ground. Now most of you here may not be familiar with this imagery, but fallow ground is hard and compacted. It's been scorched by the sun, and it has very little use for growing any kind of crops. The Lord is saying that they must do the hard work to break up the fallow ground in order to make it yield fruit once again. They've hardened themselves so much 
that the need that they have is to plow it all up. To go down deep into the heart of the earth to bring to the surface what little nutrients are left and to then cultivate that. And then the thorns and the weeds of sin which have taken root in that fallow ground, they must be uprooted so that the when the new seed of faith is cast forth, it would take root and not be choked out by the old wicked sins. Obadiah Sedgwick, the Westminster Divine, puts it beautifully. Even so the sinful heart is broken up when the almighty and gracious God, whom Christ calls the husbandman, comes with his word and spirit and enters the heart or soul of the sinner by irresistible convincings and by efficacious humblings, which are as rentings and tearings to the ground, and by rooting up the dominion and love of all sins. That is what breaking up the fallow ground of your heart means having the Lord come and to break it up, to till it up, and to root out all of the sin that remains. The Lord then goes on to use the imagery of circumcision, one which the people of God ought to know all about. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart ye men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. God shows forth the, the profound symbolism that lies within this practice. It's a symbolism that reaches far beyond the physical act and it directs us towards a spiritual transformation of the heart. Physical circumcision that ordained sacrament of the old covenant people of God, it was always intended to signify a deeper truth, and that is circumcision of the heart. Just as the flesh's foreskin was ritualistically cut off and discarded, so must the sins of the heart be severed and cast aside. That imagery captures the essence of true repentance. It conveys the necessity of cutting off the sins that entangle our hearts. Circumcision shows us in its spiritual meaning, it shows us that our sins have been removed by Jehovah. This was a truth that the people of God should have understood intimately. They had undergone physical circumcision and so they bore the external sign of the covenant. But once again, it was but an outward false sign of their holding on to religion. The sign they bore was but a hollow shell a facade that concealed their spiritual deficiency. 
the absence of true heart transformation, the absence of their removal of sin. It is possible to have the sign without the thing signified. And we see that here with these Israelites. And so I ask you, dear friends, have you borne the acts of repentance? Are there aspects of your lives, either hidden or apparent, that are abominations in the sight of the Lord? Are there idols that you elevate, whether they be um, material pursuits or or worldly ambitions or selfish desires, whatever they are, do you have these idols that detract from your relationship with the Almighty? Are there practices and attitudes that have subtly seeped into your worship, tainting it, tainting your devotion to the Lord? If so, then you must put those things away. Remove the abominations from the Lord's sight, knowing that nothing can be hidden from Him. Anything that's in your life which is contrary to the Word of God must be put away because Jehovah will not allow those things to remain standing. Be as those in Josiah's time which utterly destroyed the idols that perverted the land and the people. But it must not stop there. Do not be the hypocrite by showing forth external acts of repentance but not doing the hard work of true repentance in your hearts. Have your sins so hardened you that it seems nearly impossible for the seed of the Word to take root? Then break up your fallow ground. Heed the wisdom of Matthew Henry who says, Plow to yourselves a plowing that you sow not among thorns and that you may not labor in vain for your own safety and welfare as those do that sow good seed among thorns and as you have been doing a great while. Put yourself into a frame fit to receive mercy from God and put away all that which keeps it from you. And then you may, expe- you may expect to receive mercy and to prosper in your endeavors to help yourselves. And then do the hard work of searching out your heart. Circumcise the foreskins of your hearts. Cut off any remaining sin which is hidden in the secret places. Cut it off and cast it aside 
and endeavor to live according to the law of God. Call out to the Lord to show you the sins that remain within you. I guarantee you, if you pray, search me and know me, He will show you the hidden sins of your heart. Cut them away. Cast them aside. Without this act, both external and internal, there is no true repentance. And there will be results that come forth out of this true repentance. One of those results is your own spiritual growth and continued perseverance in the faith. The Apostle Paul writes in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run the race with patience, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, those cares, those those worldly concerns, those idols that so often entice us off of the path of unri- uh, off of the path of righteousness they must be cast off they must be put aside they're nothing but hindrances to your spiritual growth they act as anchors that are holding us back when we should be pressing forward they are but dead weight upon the soul that pulls it down when it should ascend upward and pulls it back when it should press forward. True spiritual growth cannot flourish in the presence of persistent sin. Just as plants cannot thrive under the shadow of a dense balcony or a dense canopy, the growth of your faith is stunted when you carry the weight of your sins. And so the call of true repentance is also an invitation to freedom. A freedom from the chains of sin that bind you, hindering your growth and impeding your progress. Cast off those burdens. Discard the weight that pulls you down and holds you back. Repentance involves not just turning away from sin, but also letting go of attachments that hinder your growth in Christ. It's a process of shedding the old and embracing the new. Of trading the heavy load for the freedom of a transformed life in Christ. And another result of true repentance is that others will see your repentance and be compelled to do likewise. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nations shall bless themselves in Him, and in Him shall they glory. This verse paints the picture of the 
transformative power of true repentance. It's a power that extends beyond personal salvation and it reaches to the very heart of community and nations. Your repentance becomes a a light that is shining forth on the path of truth and righteousness for others to follow. As they witness your sincere turning towards God, they're prompted to reevaluate their own lives, to see their own sins, and to see their own need for a Savior. When they see you swearing by the living God in truth, judgment, and righteousness, they are drawn to that God, to the source of of your conviction. Why is it that nations do not bless themselves in God or glory in Him? Why is it that pure religion does not flourish throughout the whole world and that all nations do not come and unite in worship of the only true God? Friends, it's because of our impiety and wickedness and our insincerity of the heart. That's the reason why God is not glorified and why He's not everywhere celebrated among the nations. When we fail to genuinely seek God, our witness is diluted. And His glory becomes obscured and then we must ask the question how can we call others to repent if we ourselves have not done so if you want to see mass revival true repentance on a grand scale then it must begin here with us let your life proclaim forth in word and deed and truth and sincerity of the heart, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In your repentance, others may find uh, the strength to follow suit, and this may be used of the Lord to ignite a moment, a movement, a revival that brings forth uh, hearts transformed by grace. And then lastly, there's a result for failing to bear true repentance. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Jeremiah is telling the people of God that they must not wait until God comes forth as an avenger because then it would be too late to repent. He says that the time is coming when the judgment of God will be at hand. And once His fury has gone forth, 
It will burn like a fire so as to consume them. And there would be no extinguishing it. But if they repented, there was hope still to be found. Because the fury of the Lord had not gone forth yet. Friends, this is true today just as much as it was true back then. The day is coming in which the wrath of God will be poured out upon all the ungodly, upon all of the unrepentant. Do not be caught up in that flood of fury. It will consume you. It will consume you just as the fire that fell from heaven consumed the sacrifice on the altar. And in that day, there will be no more hope for repentance. But praise God, that day has not yet come. There is still time. There is still hope. Heed the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Do not wait another moment because the next is not guaranteed. Put away all your abominations out of the Lord's sight. Break up the fallow ground and pull up the thorns so that the seeds of the gospel might take root. Circumcise the foreskins of your heart so that your sins may be removed. The time has come. Repent and return to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we've seen that true repentance is not merely a superficial act or a fleeting emotion. It's a transformation that changes our hearts, our lives, and our relationship with the Lord. God, God's call to repentance is unceasing and unwavering, just as He reached out to Israel, even after their waywardness and exile, He extends the same call to you today. His arms remain open. He is ready to embrace you if you turn from your sin and return to Him. Just as a farmer must prepare the soil for growth, you must cultivate your hearts, removing the barriers that hinder your walk with Christ. And then you must circumcise your hearts, cutting away the sins that entangle and creating room for true reformation. And this repentance, this true repentance, it leads to true results. Your growth in Christ and perseverance in the faith are nurtured when you cast off the weight of sin and run the race that is set before you with endurance. And your repentance serves as a beacon for others. When the world witnesses your true repentance, they will be drawn by it to your faith 
a faith that's more than just words. So let us heed the call to repentance. Let us embrace the invitation to experience growth, transformation, and revival in our lives. May our hearts be constantly open to God's convicting and guiding spirit. And as we journey forward, let us walk in light of true repentance, empowered by the grace of our loving God. Let us pray.